This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz. How are you? Hope you're well. I hope you're keeping safe. Well, look, we're nearly at the end of it. It's been a it's been a terrible time for all of us. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we feel like we're going to be able to get back to normal very, very shortly. Uh, and also, uh, there's a pandemic. Because, um, of course, I'm talking about Liverpool Football Club. Um, we have been through it. We Our season was unravelling like a pensioner's cardigan caught on a fence. And um, and there looks like there could just be a little bit of stability coming back to the team. Uh, joining me on the podcast today to talk about that and a couple of other things as well, of course. Uh, well, you talk about Liverpool's perfect lineup. I think we've got the pod's perfect lineup. Joe Rimmer is here and Paul Gorst. How are you, pal? How are you, boys? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, not bad. Good lad, good lad. Could have called you there, Ghosty. Um, I know. <laughs> I don't know. What, mate? I'm just glad it's not on YouTube today. Yeah, quite right. Well, yeah, hopefully it's never on YouTube with my God. <laughs> um, so, um, just to start things off, once again, I always like to say thank you for, for choosing um, Poetry in Motion and, of course, all the other podcasts under the uh, Blood Reds title umbrella, if you like. And other lads also do their own. So thank you for listening to their ones. And also Ali Rouge as well. I always mention it. It's a brilliant pod, Ali Rouge, with uh, with guys talking who really know the game. Um, anyway, back to this one who doesn't really know the game. Um, if you believe some of my tweets, so, or there's some of the ones I get. Um, so listen, just a couple of things to mention. I mean, it's been four matches, such as the pile-up of, of fixtures. It's been four games since the last time we spoke. A lot of things have happened. Uh, good and bad inside the club. Um, first and foremost, I uh, want to take this opportunity to belatedly wish uh, the King uh, a happy birthday. And also as well, just to mention um, the passing of uh, a real legend in Ian St. John. Um, so, so sad. One of Shankly's own. I mean, he, he was responsible for our first trophy, of course, in 65. And um, someone that I had the great honour to get to know when I was on my Radio City days, because he had the show after me with, uh, with Snods, Satan Snods. Um, Ghosty and Rim, I'll ask you first, Paul, did you know the Saint? Did you ever have any uh, have any dealings with the Saint, mate? Uh, I know, obviously, you know, he, he was getting on a bit and stuff, but uh, did you ever meet him through the club? I didn't, sadly, no. He's he's, um, he's, he's one of a few who I didn't um, come across in, in various bits and pieces that, that we do at the club. Um, but for ev- everything that I read about him following his passing, he, he sounded like one of the real characters of the football club. I mean, we, we kind of knew that anyway, didn't we, given his, his status in the, in the football club and then what he went to do, you know, after he left with the, the TV show with Jimmy Greaves and whatever else. And um, just, just listening to the stories from other people in the media following his death, um, he just really come across as someone very likeable, a real character. He, had, he always had a quip and a, and a line and um, just really sad news, isn't it? Um, obviously, a, a legendary figure in, in Liverpool's history, as you mentioned there, about um, coming through in, in the 60s and, and whatever else. And, yeah, it's just um, more sad news, isn't it? On top of, we recently had Ray Clements and, obviously, the current team have been affected by bereavement, haven't they, with, with Alison's yeah. father and, and Klopp's mum. And, yeah, it's just it's just sad news. But um, everything that, that I read following his passing was that he was one of the, uh, one of the great characters. Yeah, he was. And, and Joe, he... Um... He got to see us win the title again, and he was a real reg, you know. He, 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 he the, the, the club still 
he was still very, very passionate about Liverpool, and 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 and, and thankfully, I, I remember him um, doing a speech with him, um, with Ron Yates at the Liverpool Players Awards a couple of years ago, when um, back when uh, Rogers was in charge, and um, he broke down on the mic just talking about Liverpool and just talking about how much it meant to him. And and um, I don't know whether you ever met him yourself, Joe, but when he told you the story and he said things like, you know, and then Shankly come in, it's there's always something really sort of spine tingly about hearing the first person account of Shankly and, and, and what he was about, Joe. Yeah, he, he was he was so charismatic, wasn't he, in St John, you know, I think he's one of those rare players who who engaged with almost every generation of Liverpool fan from when he played for the club. Because, you know, I think about it probably my granddad's generation is when he played. And then my dad will have known him from from Saints and Greavesy. And then as you mentioned before, you know, people my generation, I, I remember him quite vividly listening to, to Radio City and listening to Satan Snods and yeah it's um it was a very sad day it's been a very sad time for Liverpool as, as Gorsi said there's been a lot of bereavement recently and you know he's one of the true true legends of, of Liverpool um you know I've seen quite a lot of videos obviously listening to Satan Snods and he was just so charismatic and, and told so many great stories and as you say about for people like me who you know you've only got the stories of Shankly to go on it's it was people like him that they got those stories across so so well. So um it'll be missed and you know, hopefully when Anfield is, is back going, they can give all these legends like Ray Clements and like him and, and even for the manager and for Allison, they can give give them a bit of an ovation and, and mark their, their passing because I think they deserve that. Gerard sure. well. Hulier, sorry about Gerard Hulier. Jan Gerard as well, of course. Yeah. A lot, a lot to, a lot to, uh, to remember uh, in the coming months. I can just remember when I started the Saturday show on uh, on Radio City, and 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 when I first realised that he was in the same studio and was going to be taking over, I got really nervous. I don't get nervous. I've worked with some big actors and I've met some big actors and big sort of so-called famous people and and footballers, ex-footballers, not even current footballers. Couldn't footballers have a certain a different vibe than X because there's something about the X of it. I think it was probably growing up, and of course he was before my time. But I remember him coming down the corridor in Radio City, and he could just do that, ah, 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 laugh he had. And I got really <laughs> nervous because I thought, God, it's it's St John, such an absolute. All right, Fitzy. He was just a lovely, lovely guy who, with a beaming voice, a booming voice, sorry, for the little man, and 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 a great sense of humour. And I'll tell you. A story told me very, very quickly. I'm going to be paraphrasing this, and then we'll get cracking. But when you heard stories from him, like you just said, Joe, and it was always about Shankly, it was remarkable. He told me a story about Liverpool doing pre-season training in Toronto, and um, they'd gone out on it for a few drinks, but it was a very strict no-drinking policy, or certainly have a couple of halves, and that was your lot. And him, St John, and Ron Yates had stayed out all night. They'd been in the casino, and then. Um, and he still had the suits on and stuff. And he said, shit, look at the time. You know, we're going to have to get back. So it must have been about six o'clock in the morning. And they headed back to the hotel. And they they pressed the ground floor button. And the do- hotel doors opened. And they both walked in. They weren't smashed because they'd sort of sobered up. But they were, the, you know, a bit the worse for wear. Very tired, certainly. And they say they were on the eighth floor. The, the, the lift stopped on the fifth floor. And the lift doors opened. And it was Shankly coming into the lift to go down for breakfast. And they were in the lift in suits going to bed. <laughs> so he said there was this great stand-up where Shankly looked at them and went, ah, you lads, that's what I like to see. And he thought, he was saying, you know, you've got you've got your suits on, you're coming down. And they went, aye, boss, that's right, yeah. And they went right the way back down <laughs> to the hotel reception and through to the, the restaurant. 
and had to sit there with him having breakfast. <laughs> and he was, he said he was babbling on for ages and about stuff and talking. And they were like, yeah, that's right, gaffer, yeah, yeah. And he said at one point he looked across and Ron Yates was putting a boiled egg in a bowl of cereal. They, they were just, <laughs> they were just still half cut. And he had them there for like, you know, half an hour or 45 hours. And in the end, he panted me 10 hours and said, no, go and get some sleep and don't you ever do that again. So he was <laughs> onto them from the way go, but still got them to come down in a lift. Yeah. It's a great, you know, obviously the man told it better, but when you heard stories from the Saints and you heard it and you knew it was, it's the same when you speak to Phil Thompson and people like that as well. And they mentioned the word Shankly very matter of fact, because of course there's that's it's not even six degrees of separation. It's just man, it's his story to him to you. So there's something very special about him and uh, um and our thoughts and respects, as we've said on on far too many occasions recently, uh, go with the family of Ain St. John, a true legend. All right, boys, we'll get back to the matters at hand. Um so there's been four games since we last spoke in Liverpool's teetering on on on, um, on on falling further down the abyss, if you like. Um, the Chelsea game was was very much full circle of the first Chelsea game this season, I thought, in which case, and I remember tweeting out when Liverpool played, and of course we had Fabinho and we had Thiago in that centre, and I remember tweeting out when we beat them, this is like this is like watching a cat with a ball of wool, because that's how we were playing them. It was beautiful, it was one touch. They couldn't get the ball off us, and unfortunately... You know, our woes have gone so full circle that, that the Chelsea game was very much the same same thing. We got undone by a goal and then and then it was a bit of a... It at times looked like a bit of an exhibition match for Chelsea. It was really, really hard to watch. Really, really hard to, to put up with. Um, and then came Fulham. And of course, probably the nadir of the season, if you like. I mean, the lowest we could probably get is, is defeat to Fulham. But I'm going to cheer things up now and we're going to move positive from this moment on because I'll tell you why because in the 76th minute Klopp did something he did two things first of all he brought off James Milner and put on Fabinho and the second thing he did was he kept Fabinho in midfield and it's the first time we've seen him in that role since um, the injuries that happened to us and I just I turned around to one of my lads and I said he, he broke down four attacks in the remaining few minutes. I mean, um, and then we, we, we did put Fulham, Fulham to the sword the last 10 or 15 minutes. You could say that they were allowing us to because they were holding on to a lead, but we instantly saw the Fabinho that we'd been losing, Gorsty, and and and, um, and even at that lowest point as a Liverpool fan of this season, I had a little bit of a glimmer because I felt like this was how things were going to start going now. What about you? Yeah, um, you mentioned the Chelsea game there, and I think um, Liverpool never looked further away from scoring than when they did against Chelsea, and then the Fulham game followed a similar pattern, didn't it? But um, just putting Fabinho back in midfield, as you say, it has kind of. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as say Liverpool look a completely different team, but they just look a lot more secure and safe and, and solid with him in front of two very inexperienced, but crucially centre halves in. Matt Phillips and, and Ozan Kabak, and um, they've been excellent the last couple of games, to be fair to them, a couple of clean sheets against Wolves and RB Leipzig, and, and for now, that just has to be the, the blueprint for Liverpool, with Fabinho in that number six, and uh, the two centre-backs in in a centre-back, and if they make a mistake, if they can see the goal, so be it, you know, Liverpool just need, like, you know, square pegs in, in square pegs, and, and uh, see what, what develops from there, because Klopp said after the Leipzig game that Fabinho was the best defensive midfielder in the world. So why wouldn't you play him in a, in as a defensive midfielder? It's um, he's been excellent at centre back to be fair. It's not like he, he's been the reason that Liverpool have kind of fallen off a cliff. 
but um, they just look so much more balanced with, with him in midfield. And, and crucially, I think he does three things, actually. Having him as the midfielder, you get everything that he brings as a player to that role. He also helps out Thiago next to him, kind of allows him to play a bit more of his natural game. And uh, it's protection for the inexperienced centre-backs as well. So um, he's, he's Liverpool's most important player at the moment in that position that his his own. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. It must have been very frustrating for Klopp when you think about it now in hindsight because he's wanted to play him there, clearly. He knows that that's his position. But he had he had to counteract that with the fact that he couldn't fully trust the centre-backs behind him because they were so inexperienced. I mean, Kabak's a kid, you know what I mean? And Nat Phillips, even though he never really put a foot wrong, you can understand that he's very... He's very um, He's ag- agricultural in his play, isn't he? He, 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 he does yeah. the A to B very, very simple, very, 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 very well. But uh, you can understand why there's been a bit of reticence from 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 uh, Klopp to to put Fab back in his normal role because he because he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't, isn't he? Because if he does that and then they leak four behind him, then he's getting called an idiot for putting them there. I think this. I think he's probably. I think it was make or break against Fulham. I've got to be honest. I think he's probably gone. Listen, this can't get any worse. This can't get any worse. We can't get any worse. We might as well chuck it in. And and um, fingers crossed, touching woods, touching my head, touching everything. Kabak seems to be settling down and finding a, a bit of a rhythm with Phillips alongside, because, of course, it is about relationships and trust, isn't it? Um, and I think Alisson needs to find that a little bit more than them two at the moment, because he's, he's still, obviously, you know, not probably in the right headspace, but still a bit worrying. But I think as that goes now, and the two games we've had with Fab, playing that have both um, resulted in victories. And are these the little tiny victories that you need both mentally and physically, Joe, to, to steady the ship and get going again? They are. I mean, look, I think what this, you know, this season's taught me anything it's taught me not to get ahead of myself. And, you know, I think earlier, earlier in the season, there were times when I thought Liverpool would be OK, they'll get through. And, and they seem to have steadied the ship, but... I still would like to see them. You know, there's a big test coming up against Arsenal in almost three weeks now, isn't there? So, you know, that that will be a test. And they've still got some really, really difficult games to go. So I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But like Gorsi says, I just think that playing Fabinho in midfield, to, to me, Liverpool's midfield has always been the most crucial element to their team. Whilst they've got a great front three and they're on form, and whilst when Van Dijk and everyone was fit, they had a great defence. The midfield does the hard work, doesn't it? And we've seen that in the past with Henderson and, and Wijnaldum and Fabinho. They make they make things happen for the front three because they cover so much ground and they allow the fullbacks to get forward. And I think what's been overlooked this season a lot is that the injuries have basically ruined the midfield because we've seen Henderson drop back, we've seen Fabinho barely play in his natural position. I think I've said it before. I think Liverpool's first choice midfield this season would have been had everyone been fit: Fabinho, Henderson. And Thiago, I think Thiago was 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 going to be Wijnaldum's replacement and the person to progress things on for Liverpool's midfield. We've seen that appear in one game in the, in the first derby, and they play pretty well in that game. So I, I don't think it can be it can't be mistaken how much of an impact the injuries have had on Liverpool's midfield this season. They've totally ruined it, and just getting Fabinho back into there has made things better. You've already seen. Thiago improve a little bit. You've seen Wijnaldum improve a little bit. And I just think his physic physicality, his, his presence and his aggression makes things makes life easier for his fellow midfielders. So 
you know, it's a step in the right direction, but it's only one small step. They're still playing two quite inexperienced centre-halves and they're still without their captain. They're still without key players. So there still might be bumps in the road. But to me, it's a step back in the right direction. But taking what you said earlier about Klopp and the defence, you know, there's no doubt about it in my mind. I think the injuries are the reason why Liverpool have had a poor campaign. And I think if people were fit, you know, they were... Thierry Henry was analysing it on Monday night before the game and he was saying, I'm not sure, you know, even if those players were fit, would Liverpool have been at the same level? I don't think they would have been at the, the exact same level as they were pre-pandemic, but I certainly don't think they would have been this far away. But aside from the injuries, I think the two mistakes they've made was not buying a centre-half quick enough in January. I think they messed out, left it far too late to try and fix that area of the team. And then I think Klopp has just taken too long to decide on his central defence and Going forward, I'd like to just see him keep the faith with Kabak and Phillips. And even if they had the odd ball game, I just don't see the point in messing around now, dropping Fabinho back or bringing any other players back. I just think you have to stick with them. Let them learn from their mistakes. Let them forge some sort of partnership and and hope for the best because the chopping and changing clearly didn't work. you know. And, and I think it didn't help anyone when Henderson was playing there, when Fabinho was playing there. Phillips was playing one week and not the next. Williams one week, not the next. Quebec kind of has had a run, but I just want to see some, you know, some sort of stability now in defence and, and with Fabinho back in midfield, hopefully they can do that. Yeah, fingers crossed. We have, we have I mean, you know, I've gone on ad nauseum about um, the lack of plan when it came to a centre-back. And then when we did get centre-backs, um, not getting centre-backs that we should have got in my sense. No disrespect to Quebec, and I hope he, and I hope he, he settles and, and, uh, alongside Phillips, but you know, I think my argument way back was get one that hits the ground running and, and one that would have, like you've just said, Joe, would have made Klopp's mind up a lot quicker to get Fab back because he would have had someone. They're talking about the Varans of the world now and this, that and the other. And, and of course, I think what's going to happen is, let's be honest, boys, we're going to get to the end of the season without buying anyone else. And then they're going to go, well, actually, Gomez and Van Dijk are ready now. So what was the point? And that's how we feel this is going to go, isn't it, Ghost? Do you think it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little bit of cardiology, but it isn't cardiology because we're kind of onto it. But let's just move ahead again and, and talk positive and, and talk about another player who seems to be lifting the team's mood as well. And that's Diogo Jota. Um, he hit the ground running him. He was, he was incredible when he fit, when, when he did his first stint. He had that, um, uh, the injury, and he's come back, and and I was a bit worried that he was going to come back under a load of a load of pressure because he was seemingly the you know the golden boy who was gonna who was gonna fix everything. Well, he started off good enough again, mate Annie, and he's provided the only goal again because we'll talk about the front three uh, in a second. But thank thank God for him again against his old club again. But uh, a much a much needed three points in the league down to Jota's um, his pace and his running and his his genuine enthusiasm, Paul. Yeah, I mean, as Joe was talking there about the kind of mitigating factors for Liverpool's season, obviously, you're looking at the centre-backs and, and in particular Virgil van Dijk, but not having Diogo Jota for three months has been almost as, as harmful because he was absolutely flying, wasn't he? He Between his first goal and, and his, his ninth goal, they were scored across two months and then he was out for three months. Um, so it's it just, you know, at a time when Firmino's really started to struggle as well, it doesn't mean it's easy to just kind of take him out of the team because the only um, other option was Origi, who Klopp doesn't really seem to fancy anymore. You know, probably quite rightly because he hasn't really done much for a while. But um, it's meant that no Jota means that Firmino's carried on and his confidence has, has got worse. And it's just that that's just been another massive, you know, 
um, detrimental effect of of the injuries and, and Liverpool season as a whole. Um, so great to have him back. He's now up to ten for the season, which um, is a, a very good return, really, when you think of the amount of games that he's missed. Um, and I think now he's um, he's ahead of Firmino um, in the in the pecking order, and it just brings a bit of balance, a bit of versatility, um, incredible work rate, two great feet. And uh, he obviously knows where the back of the net is as well. So, for me, um, you know, it's, we were talking there about Fabinho and, and how he's got to stay in that number six position now for as long as possible. Jota's has got to stay, you know, in the team for as long as possible as well because uh, you, you just you just seen it with the goal, didn't you? The, the, the link up play, the one touch between him, Salah, and Mane, and, and then he stuck it away with his with his left foot. And um, yeah, he, he's just got to stay in that team now. I think. Yeah, he just he offers a bit of unpredictability, doesn't he? In a in a in a, in a team that you'd think Joe this season seems to be very predictable uh, to all the other teams. Um, but the ongoing question that everyone's scratching their heads about is is w- what is going on with Sadio Mane? It's a crazy situation, isn't it? Because Joe, I was watching him the other night, and he's doing everything right, everything that he used to do. He's still doing his turn of pace, his his defending from the front, his uh, is. His press, his touch, but in front he can't hit a barn door with a banjo from three foot, can he? He, he just cannot. And even worse now, he stopped trying, which is in- interesting. You know, we were undone by Chelsea with a Mason Mount goal that he used to do for fun, the drop in the shoulder, flicking it onto the right, over to the right, and then just smashing it in. Uh, there, there must be some sort of turmoil going on with, with Mane himself, and a frustration because he did some lovely stuff the other night. Against Wolves, there's some lovely stuff down the byline, like a winger. But it, it's just a winger lacking that 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 deadly striker's touch uh, for for some reason. I mean, it's incredible how these things go, Joe, isn't it? With form, I think that's exactly it. I just think it's a, it's a case of him getting himself into a bit of bad form, and he's desperately trying to to play as well. But perhaps just trying a bit hard. I thought he played quite well at Wolves, and like you said, showed some really nice touches, and he, he was a constant threat. I always think he's very different from Salah. Salah can go quite quiet in a game and then score a goal. Mane can be on the ball loads and, and not have as much end product. But, you know, he, he, I thought he played very well the other night. And I just think he just needs something to go in for him. You know, the header that just went wide, even when he had that, you know, that touch that took him wide, the goal from past the goalkeeper, you know, just a little bit of luck there for him to, to, to get onto that quicker and, and get a shot away would have been, you know, just what he needed. And, after that, he went wide, didn't he? And then tried to have a shot and, and sort of like rushed it a little bit, I think, trying to make up for it. So I think it's probably just in his head a little bit. And he's too good not to get back into form. I'm sure he will. Um, I, I just think that, you know, you, you look at him the other night, he's just a constant menace. He's a really good player. He's still, you know, other teams still don't like coming up against him. And I think he'd be fine. Um, I think think he's looked all right at the Champions League as well, hasn't he? He scored in the first Leipzig game. Um, I haven't got big worries about him. I just think it's been a difficult season for everyone, and he's having a little bit of bad form at the moment. And he's set the standards so high, hasn't he, in recent seasons that it's no wonder, you know, that, that he's going to have a little dip every now and again. But uh, you know, I still think he's such a great player, and he showed that in, in spells the other night. Um, and I'm pretty sure he'll put someone to the sword quite soon. Um, you know, he quite likes scoring against Arsenal, doesn't he? So that's not um, it's not a bad place to start in the next game. No, it's not. And Gorsty, uh, in in many in in the same way as we've said that Fabinho unlocks the like of the likes of Thiago. Hopefully, will allow him 
a little bit of free reign. Jota could be the answer to Mane's problems, couldn't he? Because just when the microscope isn't on Mane as much, when he's not on, in the spotlight as much, because you've got Jota, hopefully he'll be doing that nine role, I guess, and, 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 and making moves. It could be the th- kind of thing that, that unlocks that little bit of pressure that Mane feels like he's under and, and, he, and he'll start playing with the freedom he, he, he once had. Yeah, I think so. And I think the same can probably be said of Roberto Firmino in a different way. But Jota, I think, having him fit and firing and on form, it's probably a kiss off the backside for, for Firmino. And, and as you say, just kind of alleviates the pressure a little bit on Mane because uh, I, I think I think Firmino has drawn most of the attention in terms of his confidence not being what it was and it being so obvious. But Mane's not too far behind, as he? I can't remember the last time watching Mane play and, and it's the old Sadio Mane, it's the awesome burst the pace that will take him past a few players and, and as you say you know that Mount goal was similar to, to you know the Mane's calling card and it's been a while since you've seen that um, he scored against Scotland didn't he and he obviously scored against uh, Leipzig but I think they might, might be wrong in this but there's only two goals this season but he, he scored in both legs didn't he against Leipzig so he scored three this calendar year, which we're in mid-March now, so that's probably not um, not good enough for a return for a player of visibility. So um, hopefully, um, with with Jota back on the team and, and hopefully, uh, he, as we say, he continues to hit the ground running, then um, Mane can kind of feel his way back to some sort of confidence. And, and as Joe says, I think he just needs something to to go right for him. Just just want to to go in, and then you can um, take your confidence from that. Poetry in motion. On the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I think I think I think I saw a stat as they say that Salah's only scored four in 2021. Um, and if that's right, then then I mean the, the return of the front three has been very very poor. And and obviously as as much as uh, of the disorganisation that we've had and the and the imbalance, if they'd have been sticking them in for fun, we'd have probably still been up there. It's crazy. The goals win games, don't they? And and, and the fact is. You can be as balanced or as unbalanced as you want, but if you've got someone up the top there just smashing them in, they are more often than not pulling you out of prison or pulling you out of jail. And, and unfortunately, we've had that perfect storm of um, imbalance all over the sides and a front three that just, just aren't firing. And, and of course, you know, it's catastrophic. Uh, just a word on Thiago, because he seems there's, there's a lot of diatribe thrown around about Thiago, I find. He seems to be a bit of a whipping boy. And I think the media's perpetuating a lot of it. Yet again, the other night, I will say this, he, he, you know, he did he did go to the Paul Scholes School of Tackling. Um, <laughs> you know, about 15, 20 years ago, they were great tackles. I mean, they are still good tackles, but by the letter of the law, they're not because you, it's almost not a contact sport anymore. But I find the, the ground, the enthusiasm, the ground he covers, and he was breaking up a lot of attacks the other night. And he was diving up for headers that were way above his head, and he was getting to them. And there's, a, there's an industry to him that I really like, and I still feel that... It probably won't be till next season now that we get a balanced side that will really show what we bought this kid for. I mean, he, he, he's class and he's getting a, a fair bit of... Another one, I don't know whether it was Don Goodman. It was one of the commentary team uh, the other night in the Wolves game that I was listening to. And um, <clears throat> he sort of said, he had, he had a shot on Thiago before the game started. Yeah, this guy hasn't found any form. And I'm thinking, have you watched this? Do you watch Liverpool? Because everyone's jumping on this. He hasn't found any form since he's come in and... You know, yeah, he can be a bit of a liability. And I, and I was glad he came off for Katie because he was on a yellow. And he was on a yellow with a, a lot of the game to play. But he's doing way better than people are giving him credit, Paul. 
Yeah, I, I thought the game on, on Monday night was too too quick for him, actually. Um, I thought there was one where Liverpool were in the final third and, and he took a heavy touch and Wolves were up the other end, second place with, with Traore and, and uh, Kabak and Fabinho kind of bailed them out. Um, but he was brought to Liverpool for a, kind of, a specific kind of game, one where you're at Anfield and you've got 10 and 11 players behind the ball and Liverpool are seeing a lot of, lot of the ball with um, a team that's got Van Dijk and Gomez behind them and a, and a you know, a Mane and a Salah ahead of them. And he's been brought in not to play 50 games a season and not to play against everyone. I think he's kind of um, part of a different game plan of time for Liverpool. That would have been the plan had, you know, injuries not sprung up left, right and centre this season. Um, he's, um, he's in there with, you know... I mean, he's only been able to play in in the midfield. He thought he was joining once, and that was against Everton. And even then, Van Dijk went off went off after 15 minutes. So he's never actually played in the team that he thought he was joining, um, which is a crying shame. And, I, and I, I, I've written a few times. I think we'll see the best of him, as, as you say, next season when we've got a little bit more of a, of a settled looking Liverpool team in, in front of us to watch, and uh, we can go from there. But there's no doubt about his qualities. It's two-time Champions League winner. The only other two clubs. He's ever played for the Barcelona and Bayern Munich, and he plays for Spain, and he's a wonderful player to watch. So um, I'm not too concerned for him long term, but um, it hasn't been a, a perfect start for him. But um, there's so many reasons for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Joe, as I said, he, he's the kind of player he's, he's cultured, isn't he? And I think he's, he's sort of turned up to a bit of a cockfight, hasn't he, at the moment? And he's thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here, a little bit, but I'm going to just dive in anyway, double footed. And see see what happens. He's just got to calm it down a little bit. But um, there's clearly a there's clearly a class footballer there waiting to be just waiting to waiting to be unleashed, isn't there? That's it. I, I think Gorsi's spot on with what he was saying. I don't think he was bought to play this many games. And like everyone this season, it's like it's feast or famine with Liverpool, isn't it? You know, he he missed a good chunk of the season and then came back and has had to play almost every game since. And I think he's probably tired. I think he. You know, he's playing in a team that isn't playing that well. I don't really see... It, it, it sort of does matter. Then when you, you, you watch analysis and, and, and they go through players and say, Thiago's not playing well. Hey, well, no one's really playing well. So it's pretty hard to just pick him out. He's new to the club and say, you're not playing well. And I, I think, like you say, we, we need to wait until next season. Things settle down. He can rotate a bit more. And he can actually play his football a bit better. Um just remember when he first came in, he played against Chelsea, albeit with, uh, against 10 men. But then in the Everton game, I thought he was class. He showed so, showed so much class on the ball. He played it at his own pace. He was playing really good forward passes. He, he should have set up the winning goal, goal at the end, but he put Manny through on the left. Um, then I remember him coming back from injury against Newcastle, came on again, just lit Liverpool up. And I think since then, he's just got into a bit of a rut and Liverpool are in a, in a bit of a rut. So he's he's almost trying too hard. But you know, he came back at a time when Liverpool started to lose form, didn't he? You know, he, he came back in the Newcastle game after, was it just before Christmas, just after Christmas. So I think it's it's quite harsh to judge him right now. You know, the jury's still out, but I certainly don't think we should be writing him off Um you know, I, I do have slight worries. You you always worry, don't you? It's it's been a poor season, and you know, there's a slight worry that I have the, the bit of a thing where you think he could be a bit of a baron for Liverpool, a, a great player who just doesn't fit. But I just don't think it's we, we can say that just yet. I think we have to wait, and it, it's just a hard season to, to to judge anyone, isn't it? You know, it it 
it's been that disruptive and only any anyone that watched Liverpool regularly can see that every game is almost a different team. Every game's a different midfield, a different defence. There hasn't been like a run of three or four games where everyone's fit and you can just play through it. So it's hard to just judge anyone. So I certainly don't think we should be judging Thiago just yet. No, absolutely right. And um, let's look at the two centre-backs then because over the last couple of games they seem to have strengthened. They seem to have um, they're getting an understanding that Phillips has been great. I mean, he, he really has. He's, he, he's, he's becoming a really dependable kind of guy, isn't he? In, in a sense that any 50-50s in the air, he's, 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 he's busting the gut to get to them, isn't he? And he's, he knows his positional play. He, he, he seems to venture, venture out of position quite confidently as well and then back in. So he doesn't mind Roman. Equally, Kabak uh, was quite good against Wolves, I thought. He thought he had a really solid game. There was a moment there where, where, where the Wolves sub burst forward and he, he matched them for pace and took the ball off him and and um, this is how you started, isn't it, Paul? This is how you get your stability back. And, you know, you, you play them week in, week out. They get to understand each other. They get to understand their, their weaknesses and strengths. And, and hopefully they, they, they can counteract each other and, and support them. But, but you know, a lot to be encouraged about at the moment, the way those two are sort of are bedding in. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think when you've, you've been hit with so many injuries and your confidence is as low as Liverpool's has been for the last few months, You've just got to take baby steps, haven't you? And, and they've been solid, not particularly spectacular, but they've been growing, you know, by the game. And I thought they were very good against Leipzig. And then uh, on Monday night, I thought the pair of them were, were, were excellent. Um, Phillips is just an absolute monster in the air, isn't he? As soon as it goes up, he's, he's going up with it, getting the ball, taking the man, taking no prisoners. And, and there was a couple of times when he, he went up for the header with William Jose, the, the wall striker. And the wall striker come down, and you can just tell he was like, oh, I've got to jump with this fella all game. Yeah. He's clobbering me every time, and he's winning it. And there was there was a funny couple of seconds in the, in the second half when Fabinho absolutely took um, Neto out. It might have been, and then a second later, it was up in the air, and um, Phillips clobbered Fabio Silva. And it was like a couple of real muscular, powerful challenges that you don't really associate this Liverpool team with. It was like they were ready to roll up the sleeves and, and fight. And and fair play to Phillips, he's He's been excellent whenever he's been called upon, and he really has um, proven himself that he's probably got a, a future in, in the Premier League. And, and whether that's his fourth choice Liverpool defender or somewhere a little bit further down down the pecking order as a starter, I, I think he he'll definitely have a career. Um, on Kabaka to, to an interesting one because he's only twenty. Um, so if Liverpool were playing a lad from the academy, he was only twenty, putting in these kind of performances. You'd be looking at it, and, and you'd be pretty excited. You'd think, you know, yeah. you, you've got you've you've got someone here, but then on the flip side, have Liverpool got the eighteen million to to pay for him? Is is he someone who, who's going to justify the eighteen million fee at a time when money isn't particularly growing on trees for Liverpool? So um, I think they've got a big decision to make, but um, he's doing the right things at the moment, keeping clean sheets, playing well, and I, I just think the key now for Liverpool is just to keep that kind of. Um, you know, trio in there of Fabinho just in front of Kabak and Phillips and see where, where the dominoes fall. Yeah, absolutely right, mate. It's a good point that about his age as well. And you take it for granted, don't you? Because he comes across and you think, oh, this guy's going to... I mean, I, I was always worried because I, I genuinely, I, I, you know, I've been banging on about getting, you know, signings that are statements of intent rather than um, last-minute backdoor jobbies. Um, so, you know, 
Although Upamakambo on both the games was 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 quite shady, wasn't he? Quite shaky. So they were you were looking again. We were in for him for a while. So it is a tricky business. Who'd be a manager? Um, we were sort of hanging on towards the end. There was a lot of pinball towards the end of the, the Wolves game. You could feel every single Liverpool player, couldn't you? Thinking we just want this three points. We just want this foundation. We don't want to trudge off the pitch with a draw. We want to get off here with three points after the win in Europe. And just you could feel it. They were just ping ponging and everywhere. The league being as it is, Joe, we're now five points behind Chelsea. Five points behind fourth place. It's quite a congested area where we are. We've got Everton, of course, same amount of points. I think we've got a game in hand as well. But this, more than any other season I can remember, has been one of them ones where City aside, anyone's beating anyone, aren't they? Anyone's capable of beating anyone. It's not just us getting beat. It's other teams getting beat. Everton will win one then lose two. Or Chelsea are winning and losing. Leicester, um, although they've, they've, they've seemed to to be going on strong again. West Ham and up in the mix. Do you think we, um, do you think that the fourth place is, is still a realistic possibility if I ask you a really easy question? Um, um, because obviously the other side of the coin then is 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 the, the Champions League is is the only other qualification and is it becoming more realistic that we have to start thinking top six is somewhere we need to go or do we just have to head, head on and go for four, Joe? It's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Like you said, this season's been mad. And as much as I could see Liverpool just sort of whimpering over the line and, and losing several of the next however many games and, and not doing it, you just never know. They, they could win three games on the bounce and Chelsea could lose two and suddenly you, you're back fourth. So <laughs> calling the Premier League is, is, is very difficult right now. I wouldn't put money on them finishing in the, the Champions League places, but you just never know. Um, do you know what? The maddest thing about Liverpool is, I certainly wouldn't bet against them winning the Champions League. They just, yeah, we are that. We are I was that just about to say that we, we we just we do things like that, you know, like when everyone laughs and, and writes Liverpool off, they go and do something like win the Champions League. So again, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't go out there and put money on it, but I certainly wouldn't snigger if 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 someone said that they think Liverpool are going to win the Champions League. And yes, it's unlikely. Yes, they've had a lot of injuries, but you know, the the draw is coming up soon and. If Liverpool get decent draw, I think, in the quarters, you just don't know, do you? Um, you know, Man City last season, I would have had them down as favourites and they they went out to Leon. Um, there's nobody there that really strikes massive fear into your PSG have looked good at times, but also lose games. So, you know, and they're not doing very well in the French League. So, you know, they're not they're not outstanding. So it's really hard to call. And I wouldn't like to say either way, you know, it's, it's a weird one as well because finishing fourth, if you don't win the Champions League and get into the Champions League, finishing fifth or sixth isn't great. You probably want to drop out altogether and not play in the Europa League, don't you? Yeah. And just have a nice run at the league next season and have weeks off. And I think Klopp would, would take that now if, if if someone said to him, you know, miss out in the Europa League. I think he'd do it because I think he said today in a build interview that, you know, a full week's training for us is, is dangerous for others because we can do a lot in a full week's training. So... Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a dilemma. You don't really want to go into that Europa League. It just it's, it's never good for anyone, is it really? That's the Carabao Cup of European football, and let's be honest with you, we don't really want to be arsed with it, Paul. And um, but like uh, Joe's just said, you know, if you were to if you were to if you were to put this into a situation at the moment where Liverpool are, it'd be three 0 down in the first leg against Barca, wouldn't it? And uh, look what happened there. It's mm-hmm. a team that, I'd, even with even with. You know, we played we played Leipzig the other day. They were on an eight eight match unbeaten run. Where they in fact they'd lost 
They won eight of the last nine, and we were the only team they'd lost to, and then we lose to them, they lose to us again. They're a different animal, aren't they, in Europe, Liverpool, Paul? They're a... Because it's a slower pace, I think it's because it's a bit slower, it suits us. We've got the reputation that isn't as, isn't as, as sort of full of bullet holes at the moment as it is here. And um, there just seems to be a swagger about Liverpool that where, where they used to be in there, Paul. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. I think um, I think teams are um, happier to open up as well and try and play their natural game. I think a lot of teams on the continent... In the Champions League, I've got managers with egos who want to impress their own game on Liverpool and, and two fingers to the reputation. And, and Liverpool can play that all day. If you look at where Liverpool have fallen down this season, it's it's when teams have come in and, and sat in, packed pack their box um, and really defended. You know, when the game kicks off, they've got something to hold on to and, and they've waited for, for the inevitable chances and they've taken them. And that has, has been the, the, the pattern that has led Liverpool to six successive defeats at Anfield. Um, in the Champions League, it's a little bit different. Teams will want to play their own game because it's, it's probably working in, in the Bundesliga for Leipzig, for example, or, or you know whatever else it may be. So I think that just opens up more space for Liverpool to work the magic because um, even a confident shot Liverpool, if they do get the space and time to, to attack, then they will punish teams, as, as we've seen with the four goals um, across the two legs with Leipzig. So... Yeah, I wouldn't be making them Champions League favourites or anything. And I think the the two, I mean, they still had eight Champions League winners in that team against Leipzig, but the um, the kind of glaring um, issue is at centre back with two very inexperienced players at that level. So um, I don't think they're going to be favourites for it. But um, as Joe says, if they get a favourable quarter final draw on Friday, then they'll have every confidence to get into the, the last four. And then, you know, anything can happen, can't it? Well, remember last time we won in Istanbul with Igor Dishpan and uh, Jimmy Traore. No, no disrespect. Um, but anything is possible, isn't it? That's, what I'm saying is that sometimes the lesser valued players can step up, can't they? And um, you never know. It could be it could be the kind of thing that inspires Kabak and Phillips to really, really, really um, band together and, and be a, a tough force to beat. All right, just before we go, um, this is usually good news that the next six games uh, we have, only two of them are away. Um, so we've got four home games really out of six. We've got uh, Arsenal coming up next. Um, over the last few seasons, it's it's been a, a decent result for Liverpool, hasn't it? And um, but it's going to be the test because hopefully, if we can get through that Arsenal, Arsenal are blowing hot and cold. They can they can do okay. They had a good result in the derby against Spurs, but equally they've got faults as well. If we can get a win against Arsenal, then then we're three on the top. We're one in Europe, one away, one at home. We've got the sort of the hat-trick there that we need, really, to maybe build on. You know, good and bad news, I suppose, as well. We only play one team above us now for the rest of the season, so we can't really affect directly any of their any of their point tallies. But if you look at it, I'll just uh, reel off the list of games and then we'll round it up. We've got Arsenal, then we've got Villa at home, Leeds away, Newcastle at home, Man United away, huge game, as they always are. Uh, Southampton, West Brom and Burnley. I mean, these are all teams that you would usually say, well, yeah, you wouldn't mind them back-to-backs, would you? But as this season has gone very unpredictable, I'll just grab your predictions uh, for Arsenal and then we, we'll uh, we'll go. Joe, what do you fancy? I, find, I quite fancy Liverpool because Arsenal will play. Well, you know, they're not going to they're not going to sit in like Gorsi was saying. But last season they beat us, didn't they? But with like two of the biggest mistakes, Van Dijk passed it back, didn't he? And then Alisson gave it away. But Liverpool were like by far the better team. So 
Yeah, I, I'm going to say 2-1 Liverpool win at Arsenal. 2-1 Liverpool win. Ghosty? Yeah, I fancy Liverpool, actually. Um, I think they've won six of the last seven games away from Anfield, which you're including the, the home leg in Budapest. So, generally, when they're not playing at Anfield, it performs very good. That's kind of just gone under the radar because of how bad they've been at Anfield. So, um, I fancy them at the Emirates, uh, especially if Arsenal open up a little bit more than they've been used to under Mikel Arteta when he, he first come in. And um, I think Liverpool will win, yeah. Maybe it's 2-1. I'll go with okay. That's nothing wrong with that. A bit of optimism is what we need to end it on. I honestly believe that we are at a turning point. I really do. I believe that we have gone through a really, really bad time. We've hit rock bottom and we're climbing back up now. I think Fabinho and Jota are going to be massive in their respective positions. I think uh, breaking down um, breaking down opposition and moving transitions forward quicker is Fabinho's role. That's what he's going to help Thiago to do. And I believe that Jotter is going to open up and I think we're going to get the best of Mane again. I think he's going to, I think, I just feel a spotlight off him slightly. It's going to make him tick and he's going to get things going. So I'm very optimistic. I'm going for a, I'm also going to go for a 2-1 victory for Liverpool. But I'm talking about optimism for the entire season now. I feel like we've really, I feel like we've got it in us to do it. Um, Joe Rimmer, thanks very much, pal. Always a pleasure speaking to you and Ghosty as well. Fingers crossed we're on the march. Back up, boys. We're coming back over the hill. Uh, that was another poetry emotion with me, Neil Fitz, Paul Ghost, and Joe Rimmer, and we'll see you again soon. Fingers crossed with more good news. You've been listening to the Poetry Emotion podcast on the Blood Red Channel.